Welcome to the Underground Podcast, a weekly teaching from the 20 service at Second Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. Stay tuned for ways to connect with our ministry following the message. Uh, how many of you have ever experienced a time when you planned for something to happen and then it didn't go the way you thought? Anybody? Like, we just all be honest and I, like, that's me. Maybe that was you when you walked in here. You're like, I thought it'd be somebody else. Or I thought I'd sit next to a cute girl. And I, no, I'm just kidding. Um, well, the truth is, we've all kind of been there, right? We've all had moments like that. In fact, for me, believe it or not, um, I've shared this at different times. Believe it or not, though, with Underground. When we started Underground year, nine years ago, by the way. Uh, or, yeah, nine years ago. Um, I was thinking, oh, man, I'm ready. This is going to be awesome, right? This is going to be great. We're going to bring people in. I'm going to get to teach the work. Because I started as a teacher a few years before. For that, I'm thinking I'm so excited to be able to teach, and we're going to have our own little place where we can set things up and have the screens and the music, and this is going to be so great. And I get ready to kind of start the deal, and uh, and my bosses, my leaders of the church said, hey, we're so excited for you. This is going to be great, but we just want to let you know you're not going to teach. And I remember thinking, like, what's wrong with, what's wrong with you? Like, that's, what else am I going to do? That's all I've been doing since I've basically been seriously following the Lord. How is that going to work? And they said, listen, before you're ready to teach, we got to make sure you're ready to lead. And so we want you to lead this thing. We want you to be the face of it. We want you to organize it. But we're going to let other people teach so that you can focus on the people. I thought it was going to go one way, but it ended up going differently. Some of you, you graduated college and you had this, this idea in mind, you had your degree lined up, you knew what you were going to do, and you were ready to go, and then you got out of college, and you're like, what happened? Didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. Some of you were in a relationship. Maybe you still are, and one day, you're in a relationship, and you go, this is the one, I'm going to marry him, I'm going to marry her, this is the one, I'm so excited. And then a week later, they leave you, and you go, that's not supposed to happen, I thought it was going to go this way, and the truth is, with all of those, it didn't go the way you thought, but we know in the end it ended up being better, right? Because the truth is, God's plan doesn't always go the way we think it will, but his plan is always better. And some of you are going, wait, can you back up for a second? What about that relationship thing? How did, how did that work out for you? Like, how, how did that work out if I got dumped? How is that better? Because all that means is there's someone better for you, and you don't have someone in the way of that person getting to you, Right? Don't look left and right. Could be a weird deal right now, but I'm just saying. So the truth is, in all of these times, this happens. This happens a lot. This is often how God operates. It's not what you thought. And we're going to see that again tonight as Joshua gets ready to send his people into war. The strategy is going to be quite unique. Now, a couple of things I need to do before we go. We're going to, we're skipping a couple of chapters just as we move in the series. Some of y'all are wondering if we were ever going to finish because we stayed in chapter one for, for almost a month. But um, now we're going to jump ahead a little more quickly. So I want to just recap a couple of things that have happened leading up to this moment. So last week we were in chapter two with Rahab. We're actually going to pick up where that left off in chapter six. But in chapter three, the people of Israel have now moved into, remember we said, we're going to cross the Jordan. We are ready. It is time. And so they've moved toward the Jordan River and God gives some instruction to make sure that the Ark of the Covenant stays in front of them, exactly 1,000 yards in front of them, so that they can see it at all times. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, in case you're not sure, is a very special box they had created. It was made of uh, a kai wood, and then it was wrapped in gold, and inside of it were the tablets from the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses, okay? And so that's the, the uh, Ark of the Covenant, and it's going to be 1,000 yards ahead. Why? Because God wanted to make sure that as they're making 
taking this journey, they could always see the one that was leading them. The Ark of the Covenant was their reminder that God was there, that God had established this, God had made the way. And so he says, I wanted a thousand yards ahead so that no matter where you are, in the front of the line, the back of the line, remember it was a lot of people, you could always see it and remember what we're doing, why we're doing it, and how it's going to be possible that we could do it. So that was all in chapter three. And on that note, for just a moment, if we could kind of pause for a second, and I want to remind you of something we said a few weeks ago. That example of the Ark of the Covenant being ahead of the people was actually really important for you and I as well. Because as soon as we lose focus, that's when we start to wander. Right? As soon as we take our eyes off the Lord and what he wants to do in your life and how he's navigating you, molding you, shaping you, we start to wander. So I want you to be careful. I want you to keep that in mind as you're navigating your life and as some of you are, are maybe even getting ready to go back to school or getting ready to start school as teachers or whatever's going on in your world. There's so many different scenarios here. I can't even list them all. But I want you to keep that in mind. That if we're going to keep focused, if we're going to move forward, we've got to keep our eyes locked on him. And then in chapter 4, they had this moment where they've now crossed the Jordan River. By the way, remember, God parted the Jordan River similar to how he parted the Red Sea for them. This was miraculous. We just don't have time to cover it all. So he parted the Red Sea, they get, or the Jordan River. He get, they get through the other side, and God says, I want you to mark a memorial now. And I want you to put down 12 stones. That all the one stone represents each tribe. And I want you to mark it down in the ground so that you would remember what God has done on this journey. And for some of us, for those of us that became a Christian, when you got baptized. I love to think of baptism in that way as well. Of course, it's the representation, the symbolism of what God done inside of you, but it's also a memorial for you to look back on. I remember the day that I received Christ. I remember the day that I gave him my life and said, I want to follow him. Whatever that looks like and whatever that means, I am in. And so baptism for us serves as a memorial similar to that. And then we move ahead to chapter five, and then we're going to be there, and we have the act of circumcision that takes place. So if you don't know what that is, just take a moment right now, look to your neighbor, ask him to explain it to you, okay? Good talk? Everybody good? All right. Some of you are like, I'm really leaving as soon as this guy's. I don't know what to say. Well, good news. Um, I don't have time to cover it, but on our Facebook today, um, if you're not on Facebook, I, I don't know what to tell you, but on our Facebook today, we posted a video that we did um, a few months back where we actually covered this in great detail. And so if you want to learn more about this and how this works and exactly what it means, because it's actually, guys, very fascinating how all of this is connected to God. And I just don't have time to cover everything. So I put that video on our Facebook. So go back and watch that. It's semi-short, but it'll help you understand everything about that. And maybe we'll text it to you. We'll see. All right. So now, we have come to chapter 6, the fall of Jericho. Maybe the fall, I don't know. I don't want to tell you what happens, all right? And so we're in this moment, okay, and we are ready. Everything has been preliminary. It's been preparatory, if that's even a word. It's been getting them ready, and now it's time to take action. It's time to step forward into the first battle. Are you ready? Joshua chapter 6, verse 1 says this. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand and its king and mighty men of valor. Okay, let's pause. First, I want to remind you a little bit about Jericho. Jericho was surrounded by two massive walls around the entire city. The first, the inner wall, was about six feet thick, and the outside wall was about 12 feet thick. So these, this city was completely fortified. It was 
was protected. They had control of everything that was happening simply because of these walls and the protection that it gives them. Now, Jericho was also going to be, we talked about this earlier, the first city they would encounter. And the idea is this. If they are going to take the promised land, they had to start with the first city in front of them, which was Jericho. But here's the kicker. Jericho was going to be the toughest city for them to conquer. If they could conquer Jericho, there was no reason why they couldn't conquer the rest. And this is, I believe, by God's design. Listen, guys, trust me. Follow me. Let me show you how to do this, and I will prove to you that I can so that going forward, you will remember that I'm taking care of it. This is how our faith grows, by the way. We keep coming back to this. Your faith isn't grown because you're never tested. Your faith is grown because you're tested beyond what you can handle so that you have to rely on God. And then when God is faithful to fulfill, you'll look back months, weeks, even years later and say, you know what? If God could get me through that, God's going to be able to get me through this. So that's how our faith has grown. And so God's doing the same thing with the people. Hey, we're going to go right after the hardest one right away. We are going to conquer it, and you are going to see that I have got it. And notice what he said, what he says at the very end. He says, um, the mighty men of valor and its king. So he said, I want you to understand all of these people in here, okay, we're coming after all of them. There's no one that's going to stand in our way because of my power. Now, watch the beginning, though. Jericho was shut up inside and outside. What does that mean? They had heard the people of Israel were coming. Do you remember how they knew? Because remember the two spies, they weren't really that good. They got caught, right? Or at least they heard about them. They knew they were there. So now they know the people of Israel are coming for us. Now, were they scared? Probably because they've heard the things that God's been doing, especially getting them out of Egypt with the 10 plagues. But they're also probably a little falsely secure looking at their walls. And so they're kind of in the middle, but you can sense there's this tension that's brewing. You know what I think about this? I think about uh, something that a guy named Tony Evans said. We've studied some of his stuff in the past. And he said, when I wake up in the morning, I want the devil and all of his demons to go, oh crap, he's up. And I remember reading that, and I thought, I don't know how I feel about crap, I'm sorry. But I was thinking about that, and I just, I thought of this again, and I thought, man, this is exactly what it is. Man, when they found out that Israel was coming, they're thinking, okay, uh uh-oh. And I, you know what, I want the enemy to think that way when I wake up. I want every footstep I take to be like I'm banging on the ceiling of hell and knowing that this guy is a problem. We may control all these other fools, but this guy is a problem we've got to keep our eyes on. And the truth is, did you know, we are at war. We're at war as Christians, right? And we all like to think of the happy stuff and the fun stuff and the sweet stuff, but the truth is we are in a battle. And we have an enemy that wants to get us. He wants to take us out. He wants to grab you. He wants to confuse you. He wants to mislead you. He wants to put you in a relationship so you'll leave everything else and focus on that girl that's going to let you down. He wants to do all of this because he wants control. And so we're in a battle, and it's difficult. In fact, it's funny if you think about it. We don't talk about the war that much. We also don't sing about it very much either. Like a lot of our worship songs these days, they're kind of, sorry, Cole. A lot of our worship songs, they're kind of like soft and you love Jesus, Jesus loves us. All those things are true. I'm not knocking any of those themes. Please hear me, okay? But I'm just saying, every once in a while, it's nice to just have a song where we say, no, you know what? But today the devil's going to die, right? Like that's what I want to sing. Maybe not that verbiage, but you know what I'm saying? I want more, more war songs, right? 
What? Maybe we'll, yeah. Ask Cole. All right, let's see what he said. I mean, but the truth is, that's what we need. We got to, when we're singing, we want to prepare our minds too for what's at hand in the battle. And that's the truth, guys. We're in a war. And so we got to remember to stay sharp and to stay ready because the enemy wants to take us out. So I hope every time when you wake up, the enemy goes, "Uh uh-oh, she's up. Walk with pride. That's awesome. And then it says, I'm going to give them what? Into your hand. By human perspective, this is an impossible task. But God doesn't say, I'm going to do it. He says, it's already done. Just be faithful. Okay, now let's watch what happens. So Joshua lines up all his people, okay? God's given him the command. All right, here's what we're going to do. Joshua lines everybody up. He says, okay, guys, here's how we're going to do this. Are you ready? Are you ready for war? Yes, okay. Are you ready? Yes, okay. All right. What's the plan, Joshua? Lead us. We're ready. Let's go. Let's read. (laughs) You shall march around the city. Awesome, right? This is great. Um, Joshua, did you did you mean march? You shall march around the city, all the men of war, going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of a trumpet, then all the people shall shout with the great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. Now, can you imagine being these people? They've had to trust God all the way through. God's been faithful, all right, no doubt there. And then your commander in, what I won't say to you, commander in whatever, stands before you and says, guys, here's the plan of war. Are you ready? This is the most fortified city we've ever encountered. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go for a walk. We're going to play the quiet game as we cruise around the walls of Jericho. But hold your head up high because we are going to take the walls flat. Are we going to hit it? Are we going to kick it? Are we going to fight? No, we're just going to walk in circles. Sound great? Let's do it, right? I mean, this is, this is at first glance, this is crazy. And let's think about Joshua first, to stand in front of them and to have to say that. Right now, I know he trusts God, but he's got to trust that the people will trust God too. And so he stands in front of his army. Here's what we're going to do. And imagine the people that are all fired up and they look at him and they go, this dude's crazy. Like, I mean, there's a limit, right, to what God can do. Surely this can't be the plan. Maybe he was half sleeping when God was speaking to him because this is crazy. This makes no sense. How could we have victory and also to note the priests, this wasn't normal, right? Them going out into any kind of battle, or, this was not the normal way. They would normally stay back. But God, again, just like the Ark of the Covenant, God wanted those priests out there to keep reminding the people as they're walking around those walls, hey, we're on a mission. We're on a mission from God. You got to trust it. Even when it doesn't make sense, you got to trust it. Even when it doesn't make sense, you're probably going to hear that a lot tonight. It's probably because you need to hear it. I'm just saying. All right? And so here we go. The priest, some of the soldiers, and some of the people, this wouldn't have been all of them, but some of them are going to gather together on this march. Verse 8. 
And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumps of the ram's horn before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. Verse 9. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark. So we get kind of an idea of the order of which they're walking. While the trumpets blew continually. Verse 10. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout, or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once, and then came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. That was the first night. Jericho, or Joshua says, okay, we're going to go on a walk. We're going to walk around. And here's the order. And by the way, Jericho would have been about eight acres, okay, just to give you an idea of size. We think of cities, we think of like Houston or whatever, Bozo City outside of ours, but we think of the Houston, and you think if I were to walk around Houston, but see in six months, right, just not the same. This would have been about eight acres, so they could have made it in roughly an hour, depending on how quickly they made the steps, so about an hour. So they take this journey, they're, they're traveling around the eight acres. Now, here's what I want to point out to you, a couple of things before we get into the fall here. There's three things. First, as they made these circles, there would have been 13 total circles when it's all said and done. Once a day for six days and then seven on the seventh day. That equals 13. I really hope that's right because I said that confidently. Here's the first thing I want to point out to you. As they're making these circles, here's the first thing. They would have been extremely vulnerable. Okay, remember, these guys have the walls. They're probably up on top of the walls, looking down, watching them, and they're not ready for war. They're simply walking as God had commanded them. As they're making the circle, they would have been extremely vulnerable to any kind of attack. And the reality is this, and this is, this is guys, this is important. I need you to listen to this. Sometimes we have to be vulnerable so that God can be powerful. Where we're so used to walking in our own strength, that oftentimes we miss the opportunity for God to do his thing because we get in the way thinking we can handle it. And a lot of times for you and I, we're going to have to break down some barriers, break down some walls, and open up some trust in God so that he can do something miraculous through us. Because none of this, none of the things you read in Scripture were ever done through man. They were always done of God in man. And so sometimes the simplest thing we can think about is, I just need to be vulnerable so that God can do it. God can take over. God can fulfill. So they were vulnerable. The second thing is, you believe they had any doubt? Okay, now, one circle the first day, okay, no big deal. This whole thing's weird, Joshua, but I'll give you one day. Day two, this this isn't even working. Let's do this right. Eight acres. Day two, all right, man, what do you think? Well, we can't talk. You're just, you're, you're overthinking. Day three comes, and you're going, okay, stupid, right? Some of you are like, gosh, that sounds like me. You're right. Day four, it's the dumbest thing I've ever done. Is God even here? Is God even doing anything? Day five, this Joshua, he's crazy. He's not Moses. Moses would have never made us walk around in a circle. What is this? Look at these guys. They're scary. Day, what are we on? Day six, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. How do you know what my life's about? I don't even know why I'm here. I don't know why God created me. I think I'm a mistake. I think I'm a mistake. I don't, I don't even know. And then day seven comes, and guess what Joshua says? Hey, we're going to do it one more time, but we're going to go seven times. Everybody good? All right, follow me. Here we go. And you, 
Are you kidding me right now? I've been doing this for six days, and now I'm on day seven, and I got to do it seven times? Who does this person think he is? Who does God think he is? I mean, I'm not saying that aloud, of course, but who does God think he is talking to me like that? I am Chad Harold. I am the man. You don't make me walk in circles around a stinking city that's eight acres long. I don't even know how I'm doing this or what number am I on. I don't even know. This is crazy. And then they get, do you think they had any doubt? I'm sure they did, just like all of us. Oh, I'll follow Jesus, no problem. Whatever you say, God, right? We sing, whatever you say, Lord, I'll give it. All right, it's a little sweet song. Whatever you say, Jesus, I'll give him my life. I'll do it, I'll do it. And then day four comes, and you're like, man, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Man, forget you. I'll see you on Sunday. I'm not messing with you right now, God. I got my own plan. I got my own thing. I'm going to figure this out in my own strength. You're not saying it, but that's what you're doing. Do you think they had any doubt? They had doubt, just like you and I have doubt when we're trying to follow God's plan and trying to stay consistent and to follow through. And here's the thing. Do you know who they needed? They needed the priest. They needed the reminder. Every time they were walking around, through every time their mind started to wander, to look back and say, no, there's the priest. There's the Ark of the Covenant. No, we're on a mission. We're doing this because of God. We're doing this because of God. We're doing this because You know what they needed? They needed the priest like you and I need church. See, some of you have a bad view of church. Oh, I just come here because I got to be here, man. That's what the Bible says, Thursday night. Well, I didn't, Thursday night's not actually in there, but it's an extra, covers me for all that stuff I did on Monday night, right? The reality is, for you and I, church serves like the priests do for them. It's our way to disengage from culture. It's our way to link into God and to link into each other. And let's be honest, we need it. Because I don't know about you, I used to be able to make it Sunday to Sunday. I can't really do it anymore. I, I need Thursday. I really need Wednesday. I, I need Monday, Tuesday. I want to start. You start on Tuesday. You go Monday. I'll take Thursday. I mean, we could use as much as we need. Listen, we need the church like they needed the priest. That's just the truth. Don't, don't miss that. That doesn't mean you can't function without it. That doesn't mean your Christian life is wrapped up in the church. Of course, that's not what I'm saying. But, man, it sure is nice. We can gather together. We can be encouraged. We can sing praise to God. Even if they are sweet songs, we can sing praise to God and we can be reminded of what he's doing in our life. We can be reminded that, man, I need to stay focused. I need to not stop on three or four or five or wherever it is in your journey. I need to keep going because God's got a plan for me. He wants to do something for me. I'm scared out of my mind for what's coming next, but I sit in this place and I'm reminded who God is and I'm reminded that I'm not alone. We need this. And they needed that as they were making this journey and making this journey and making this journey. And here's the last thing. Not of the night, don't worry, uh, just of this point. Jericho may not have been scared yet, but you better believe it was getting tense for them. So when I play sports, I usually win. When I play sports, um, my tactic is not always athletic ability. Don't judge me, all right? Sometimes it's not athletic, but most of the time it is. just natural God-given gift. Thank you, Lord. But sometimes, particularly with Sam Volleyball, Sometimes my strategy is not necessarily to be the best player on the court. Sometimes my strategy is simply to be the most intimidating player on the court. And so I'll do weird things where I'll just stand at the net and I'll just lock eyes with you. I'm not saying anything, not doing anything, probably even missed the shot before. But because I got my eyes locked in on you, you start thinking, why is he looking at me? What was he doing? Is he playing a game with me? Maybe he's better than I thought. And he does have a pretty athletic figure. He's like the right high. And all of a sudden, your mind starts running like a crazy person, or even better. My wife doesn't like it when I do this. I'll start talking. 
I may not be able to play well, but buddy, I'll make you go circles in your mind. You'll be on circle eight, and you'll still be figuring out what's happening because I'll just talk to you. Hey, that was a nice shot that you hit in the net. That was real good. Just want you to know, Lord loves you. You're doing great. Keep it up. Keep it up. You know, keep trying. One day you'll catch up to everybody else out here on the court. This is great. Oh, did you see how I hit that ball? Do you want to take a picture? You want to make a note? Because I was pretty good, right? Let me teach you a little lesson. And I'll just start chit-chatting and chit-chatting and chit. And you know what happens? Every time they fall over. Because they can't handle it. Their minds go crazy. All right, now I'm playing with you, but you get the picture. Can you imagine? Jericho really had control in human terms, but the more they circled every day, you got to wonder, man, what are they doing? You getting nervous? Of course not. Well, I don't know. Well, that's seven days they've been just doing this. Like, is the ground going to come up? What is happening here? I mean, can you imagine? And so their, their minds are getting messed with, and then here it comes. You ready? Verse 15. On the seventh day, I'm going to come back to seven in a minute. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. Verse 16, and at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Okay, pause. Not there yet. Don't read ahead. Stop. Two things. First, it kept saying seven. Did you notice that? Seven horns, right? The seventh day, the seventh circle on the seventh day. This number seven is interesting. It starts back in the beginning with creation when God created the world in how many days? Wrong. Six. Gotcha. He created the world in six, and then he rested on the seventh. You're welcome. You all learned something new tonight, all right? Be careful at trivia night. They'll get you. Right? No, no, no. But on the seventh day, what? He rested. Why? Because it was finished. It was complete. And that word seven is the word Shiva. I probably didn't say that appropriately, but Shiva. And it comes from the root word, which is to be filled or to be finished. And so it's the picture that God had completed the work he intended to do on day seven. That's why he rested. Where does seven come from? Well, for the people of Israel, every time they heard seven, seven horns, wow, seven days, wow, seven circles, they were reminded that just as God had completed his work in the beginning, he's going to complete his work with us today. And so that seven isn't just a repetitive thing for fun. It is strategic by God to remind the people that I said I'd complete it and I will complete it just like I completed it in the very beginning. And then we have this moment where what? The horns are blowing, but they're not speaking. Now, I always think about how they grumbled earlier in Exodus. It's probably the Lord just saying, just keep your mouth shut because all you do is whine anyway. That may be free for you too. I'm just saying. All right. But he keeps them quiet. So they're playing. And have you ever played the quiet game? Anybody played the quiet game before? All right. It's so easy. Not. Right. Some of you really struggle. Like, you want to play the quiet game? Okay. When do we start? Do we start now? Are you sure not? Like how long do we play? You just can't be quiet. It's not in you. Or even worse, in our quiet times, right? We're trying to spend time with God. You're like, man, I just want to be quiet. I want to be quiet. And then your phone rings. Right? I want to be quiet. I want to be quiet. And then you heard a bird. Right? Yeah, all, and, and you're just so distracted, right? Even, even in your quiet time that you're trying to dedicate to the Lord to just be quiet so you can hear from him. You're so distracted in the culture and the world that we live in. In fact, sometimes, this is a good tip, sometimes in my time I spend with the Lord, uh, it'll take 20 or 30 minutes for my mind 
to stop processing all of the things that I'm trying to keep up with. And about 20, 30 minutes in, I finally have thought through all of the things going on. And, and I can't say that I've completely cleared my head, just being honest, but I have cleared my head enough so I can finally hear from the Lord. Some of you need to hear that today. Because you sit down for five minutes and you wonder why nothing's happening. And I'm not saying you need to give 50 or 30 minutes every time, but I'm just saying sometimes we got to carve out some time so that we can let things clear out so that God can speak to us. Because the truth is God does want to speak to you. He wants to navigate you. He wants to lead you. Man, he wants to share with you things. He wants to show you why he created you, why he molded you, what he wants to do. He wants to do all of these things. But sometimes we are so distracted that we miss it. So they play the quiet game as they walk around. And I think it's partly so that they'd stay focused. And then he says, what? I want you to shout. And they let out a roar. And I don't know. I don't know if they trusted Joshua in this moment and they really shouted or was it kind of like, what happened? Oh, it worked. Oh, this is, I don't know. But hopefully they had faith and they shouted. We should shout every once in a while. You don't have to do it now. It's okay. And then verse 20. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout. There's our answer. And the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Let's pause right there. It worked. Who would have thought? Who would have thought God's plan would work? That's a deep. You should write a book. I'm just saying that was good. Then verse 21. Let's get serious for a minute. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys, with the edge of the sword. And in this moment, this is where a lot of people go, okay, I got a problem. I got a real problem with this. So they went into this city and they killed everyone. The men and women, maybe I could wrap my mind around. But then it says young and old, even the animals by the edge of the sword. And I think a lot of us, and, and rightfully so, go, man, I don't know if I, I do I just say that's because it's Old Testament? Like what? Maybe that's why I stay in the New Testament. I mean, what, what, how do I, pro, what do I, what do I do? And our mind begins to wonder. Let me, let me share a couple of thoughts that may or may not be helpful. This may be something for you to look at on your own down the road. But let me share a couple of thoughts I think are helpful. First, the destruction of the city, the city itself. This was important. They had tons of idol worship, things that were not of God in any way, shape, or form going on. And God wanted to make sure that none of that idol worship carried over. So the first step was to get rid of everything that could potentially mess with the people of Israel. He wanted to protect them. Listen, God wants to do the same with you. God wants you to have discernment. In fact, you should know that just because I'm standing up here speaking to you on a, on a little platform doesn't mean that everything I'm saying is just a guarantee true and you need to go live your life on it. There should always be a sense of, I want to make sure, I want to check into that. I want to pray about that. I want to think about that. I want to study that. You always want to check yourself. Now, I can tell you that every time I stay in here, I prepare as hard as I can to present to you the best I can. But for your own benefit, I want to train you to always have a little bit of, mm, I want to look into that. 
I want to make sure because the truth is there's a lot of people out there that would love to misinterpret things and to mess you up and to mix you up. And sometimes they don't even intend to, but they can take you on a rabbit trail. So I want you to be trained to always be looking carefully and always be listening carefully to protect yourself and your walk with God. But we're looking at this and we know that, man, all these acts of worship, these things are crazy. We're going to get back to them in a second. God didn't want any of them with the people of Israel. The second thing, they were not to chase after any people, but simply to take those that were standing in front of them in the city. That's important. This wasn't a chase down destruction. They just wanted them out of the land. But if they were in the city of Jericho and were standing in front of them, they essentially were standing in war. And so they were in front of them and they were part of the destructive process. Here's number three. This had been a 400-year process that God had been trying to get the Canaanites, who are the people that are inheriting this land, trying to get the Canaanites to realize what they are doing and to see who God is. It started all the way in Egypt as as they heard the rumors of how the God of Israel had taken his people out of captivity, how the 10 plagues had happened, the Red Sea had parted, thing after thing after thing had happened, and God was giving them time after time after time to what? Turn from their sin and to turn toward him. So then the question comes, well, what was their sin? I mean, what was so bad that caused these people to have a complete destruction in the end? Well, first remember, God gave them chance after chance. But number two, their destruction wasn't like maybe some of us go, well, I gossiped a little bit or I looked at something I shouldn't have. These people were indulging in worship acts that were absolutely unspeakable. Part of their worship was adultery and rape. Part of their worship was bestiality, which is sex with animals. Part of their worship was the sacrifice of children, literally the sacrifice of children. At times we have heard that they would bury children alive. And so what these people were involved in wasn't just a few little things that we could kind of knock off the dust. These were things that were tremendously disrespectful to God and to people. And the problem was it wasn't just that it was their sin, it was their worship. This was how they worshiped. These were the idols. These were the gods that were telling them and asking them to do these things. And so when God looks at this, he says, for 400 years, I've been trying to draw you in. I've been trying to show you something different and you have yet to respond. And so finally, judgment is here and I'm using my people, the people of Israel, to instill it. But, Then we go, okay, still, what about the kids? What about the kids? The truth is, I'm not going to try to pretend to answer all of this for you. But I want to say this. Most of the time, the environment that the kids grow up in, typically in their home, shapes tremendously the kind of people they become. For the Canaanites, it had been a 400-year struggle. And every generation seemed to just get worse and worse and worse. God could not allow them to be a part of what he was doing because they were so messed up. And when it comes to the children, the way I like to think of this, the way I I can wrap my mind around this is that God was sparing these children from ever becoming like their parents and not being in relationship with him or in heaven with him. Can I pause for a minute? 
God sparing these children to never follow the path of their parents, which kept them from an eternal relationship and paradise with God. Now we got to back up for a minute. Okay, so if that's true, how do we know that children are in heaven? Well, that's another good question that comes a lot. Do kids go to heaven? Well, let's think about a few things. We know that kids are so young, they're not able to fully wrap their mind around what it means to have sin, what it means to follow Jesus. And so these children that can't make these decisions, Scripture tells us in different ways, more so indirectly, but in different ways, it reminds us that these children are not held accountable to actions that they can't control. For instance, you might want to just write this down in Deuteronomy 139. It talks about how children have no understanding of good and evil. This is part of that protection, Deuteronomy 139. We also see that just the character of God, though God judges sin, God is not here to wreak havoc on man. He's wreaking havoc on the sin in man. So if children are at a place where they can't process and they can't understand sin and what it means to follow God, a just and right God wouldn't judge children based on sin that they have no control over. The other part is this, and this is actually really important. People don't die. They just change location. Think about this for a minute. People don't die. They simply change location. Now, yes, of course, you have a body. Absolutely. But it's what's inside of you that is what makes you. It's your soul. It's your spirit. And your spirit, your soul doesn't ever die. It's just going to change location. It's either going to go to heaven or it's going to go to hell. And so if God is controlling this moment and these children go to heaven, the truth is even though it sounds harsh to us because they died, the beauty is they actually got out of the evil world in which they were being raised and they now spend eternity with God in heaven. So it sounds harsh, but it's actually very gracious. Now we fast forward to modern times and we look at this and we say, well, okay, there's this great question of does God send people to hell? And the reality is no, people send themselves to hell. God, just like with Rahab, extended out the red cord, right? Remember it was our symbol of Jesus. He said, you put that cord in the window and that's our reminder that nothing will happen to you. We'll get to that in a second. Nothing's gonna happen to you. And God's done the same for you and I. Jesus is the red cord. His hand is extended from the cross to you and I. It says, I've given you a way to be made right with God and to spend eternity with our heavenly father. But you have to choose. Why do you have to choose? Because I love you. And I'm not gonna make you do anything you don't wanna do. But if you choose me, you will have me and you will have eternity forever. Now, some of you are like, I'm not sure. Why can't everyone just be saved? Well, ask yourself the question. If you're standing at the altar and you're looking at the person you're about to marry and they tell you, well, I don't really actually care about you, but I have to love you, so let's do this. Nobody wants that kind of love. You want someone to choose you because they love you and they want to be with you. And God says, I'm not some machine that's gonna make everyone just follow me, but I'm gonna lay out for them a path for them to follow me. I'm gonna lay out a hand, a rope, a cord, a safety net that says, if you will take this, I will be with you and you will be mine and nothing can happen to you for all of eternity. But he loves you and I so much that he gives us this thing we call free will where we have to choose him. We get to choose him, but we have to choose him. So we go back to this and we look and we say, man, God, 
God is just and sin can't last, period. And so he brings this destruction on this city so that sin would be removed in this moment. Look at the last part. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, remember this from last week, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had the spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought out all her relatives and they put them outside the camp of Israel. They burned the city with fire. God says, I'm, gonna, I'm a consuming fire. They burned the city with fire and everything in it. And only the silver and the gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron, they put into a treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Did you catch this? This is so cool. Listen, Joshua was careful to make sure they fulfilled the promise they made to who? Rahab the prostitute. Why? Because God loves her just like he loves you. And when she put her what in him? Her faith. Her faith. She knew nothing about the law. She had no Bible teacher. All she knew was there was a God of these people that seems to be something more than all of these idols in which we worship. And that was enough for Rahab to be willing to follow this God. Listen carefully. This is so important. Faith is not full understanding. It's belief. It's not full understanding, it's belief. Rahab knew far less than any of the people of Israel, yet her faith in God, her belief in God was what saved her. And when everyone else was taken out, her and her family were spared. And can you imagine the moment when, just just think of the knock on the door. I don't know if her house was still standing, if it was in shambles or however, but let's just say it was. And the knock on the door, And guess who's standing at the door? The very two spies that she had saved just a few chapters ago. Can you imagine the relief she must have felt? I placed my faith in this God and this God has saved me. This is a beautiful picture. And then we're reminded, listen, this this whole moment here, this is what Jesus does for you. And it's what he does for me. As a Christian, as a believer in Jesus Christ, we still have a just God that cannot be connected to or a part of sin because he is perfect. Sin and him do not get along. They don't go, it's like dirty shoes on your mom's white carpet. I don't know if your mom had white carpet. My mom did. She was always yelling at us because our dirty shoes were on her white carpet, right? She should have thought that through, but that's all right. God is the same way. God is perfect and sin cannot be with him. But then we have Jesus who is our what? Our mediator who stands in on our behalf. And because he stands in on our behalf, every time you do something stupid, every time you sin, maybe it's not stupid, maybe it's not, every time you sin, Jesus, it's symbolism here, picture this. Jesus steps in on your behalf and takes that sin away so that when God looks at you, he sees you just as how he intended you to be. Basically what happens every time Jesus says, and when you stand before God, Jesus is gonna say, he, she is with me. He, she 
is with me. Just like they did to this woman Rahab when those two spies stepped in and what'd they say? Hey, she's with us. Don't touch her. She's protected. She is covered. This is what God does for us. This is what Jesus is to us. This is the moment. This is the opportunity that's been created for you to be right with God. And it's through Jesus and Jesus alone. And look at this, just a little last part. This is so cool. And it says, she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua said. Now, we know this was a long time ago, so she's not alive now. That'd be weird. But in this moment, when this was written and this was being read, she was still alive. Wouldn't that be cool if you were like, that's my grandma. That's my grandma. She did this. And now we get to look at the back end. You remember what we saw last week? She's actually going to be in the genealogy of Christ. God's not done with her. He's going to redeem her. He's going to take all that sin away, make her new, and then he's going to insert her into his story that is eventually going to lead to the birth of his son, who is what? That very Jesus we're talking about that's going to save you and me. Wow. So, it's harsh. It's harsh. But sin is harsh. And let me tell you, the biggest thing that's happening right now today, guys, it's the biggest thing. Our culture is making sin not look harsh. And that's why, maybe even some of you, and I understand, we can talk later, would get so worked up about the idea that God might do this and miss the whole point of the bigger picture that says, no, 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 no. God wasn't doing that. God was preparing the way for this. What's this? For you and I to be free, to be saved, to have eternal paradise with God. That's what he was doing. But our culture is making sin seem good, comfortable, okay, not a problem. Just look at the news. Everything that is sinful is now being lifted up. And if you're not part of it, you're over there. And that's how the enemy, remember the war? That's how he works. He's not going to come in this place and stand face to face with us. That chump wouldn't last a minute. He's going to go out there and start deceiving you from out there to wiggle his way in so that we start deceiving each other. This is how he works. This is what he's doing. He's on mission because why? Is he going to win? No, he's already been defeated, right? Just like God said, it's already done. We're just waiting for it to happen just like he did with them. I've already given you the city. It's just a matter of time. But the enemy says, hey, as long as I'm here, I'm going to try to jack with as many of you as I possibly can. I'm going to make your life a living hell because eternal paradise waits for you. So let's just go down swinging. Let me take out as many as I can while I can. He can never take your faith, but he sure can make life miserable. Well, you and I can remember to say, man, it doesn't matter what you do. Some of you aren't brave enough yet for this. Be careful. It don't matter what you do. So I don't give a rip. There's not a thing you can do to me. Make me like Job. Make me like Job. Because in the end, even if this life is hell, what waits for me isn't hell, it's heaven perfect paradise. So you take that, chump. So now here's what I want you to leave with. I want you to think about this. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? If you died today, on the spot, driving out of here, what would it be like? Are you standing in front of God and he looks at you and he says, man, 
There's a lot of stuff in your life. Is Jesus going to jump in and say, no, 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 no. She's with us. He's with us. Or he's going to look at you and say, my child, I extended the hand to you. I showed you so many times. You even sat in that service and you listened to this and you still didn't take my hand. There's nothing I can do for you now. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for you. So make sure you figure out who Jesus is to you. Make sure you figure out where he is in your life and in your heart because you may not get a second chance. The most important thing you'll ever deal with. And for those of us in Christ, remember we are at war, but you have the power of God inside of you. And there's not a thing that that enemy could do that can stop you from where you're going. And that is worthy of praise. We are warriors for the kingdom of God. It's time to start living like it. Walk out of here with your head held high and make a difference. Every step you take, you better be stomping on the ceiling of hell. And every morning when you wake up, I hope he goes, he's up again. She's up again. That's the battle we're at hand. And you have the Lord with you. What a glorious thing.